Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. This is Lee, and I'm coming to you today with a a slightly odd episode, um, but I wanted to go over some things that I've been thinking about Stoicism. This ancient philosophy has kind of had a bit of a renaissance online uh, in recent years. Um, There's an author by the name of Ryan Holiday who's sort of single-handedly repopularized uh, the ideas of the Stoics um, and granted kind of in his own way de-emphasizing certain elements and emphasizing other elements but uh, it's been interesting to see through his work and through some other people's work on medium or things like that a kind of a robust discussion of this ancient philosophy now I think we're all aware of what of the word stoic with a lowercase s, which is about, you know, being tough in the face of difficulty, uh, not, not showing your emotions or letting your emotions dictate your decisions. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's good advice. Uh, but there's, there's more, there's more to stoicism than simply those things. And as I've been thinking about, this, uh, I've been comparing this to the Christian worldview, and there are some out there who have actually claimed to be Christian Stoics, um, so, so not simply Christians who are Stoic with a small s, but Christians who are not only obviously born-again believers, but also subscribe to the philosophy of Stoicism, and that kind of gives me pause, uh, and that that's why I've been interested in looking into it uh, in recent weeks, recent months, uh, and trying to figure out whether that's right or whether that's acceptable. Um, and, I, and I think I've come to an opinion, and I figured I'd talk about it here. So what is Stoicism then? Stoicism has four main virtues, courage, temperance or self-control, justice, and wisdom. And these sort of cardinal virtues are what are are supposed to guide the Stoics' life. And the Stoics are kind of an interesting group of thinkers because they disdained what they called pen and ink philosophers. So a lot of the philosophy that we know of come from pen and ink philosophers, which basically... In the, in the eyes of the Stoics, people who were coming up with ideas about life and living, but really only thinking about them in order to write them down and spread their writings around and to get famous in the process. The Stoics were about living well, and you can see them almost as a pragmatic group of philosophers. For instance, the sort of the godfather of Stoicism named Zeno suffered a shipwreck. Um, He was a Greek, and he lost everything that he had in the shipwreck. And uh, when he washed up on shore, he walks into Greece. And uh, what does he do? He actually enters a bookstore, and he encounters uh, a book of philosophy, and he begins to think about life. And he reflects on the fact that, to him, the shipwreck was a good thing 
because without the shipwreck, he would not have encountered philosophy. He would not have had a tragedy to work up from. Uh, and this is sort of uh, Stoicism in a nutshell. Um, and there, there are some different maxims that are, are passed around within Stoic philosophy, one of them being amor fati, uh, or uh, loving what fate delivers. The primary text of Stoicism is widely considered to be Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius was emperor of Rome, so a very powerful individual, but from the time he was a child, he was brought up to be um, philosophical, to think about life, and he was tutored in Stoicism and carried on um, adherence to that philosophy during his entire life. Uh, another powerhouse of Stoicism was a man by the name of Epictetus, who actually was born as a slave and grew up in slavery. Um, he even had his leg broken by his master, and when he left his life of slavery, when he was freed, uh, he became a philosophy teacher, and a lot of his writings were written down by one of his students, and the works of Epictetus uh, still exist, and people read and study them, uh, and and take uh, guidance from them. And many of the Stoic philosophers say the same thing. Uh, one of Epictetus's um, biggest teachings is that events don't harm us, but our opinions of events are what do us harm. Okay, that's that's interesting to think about. Uh, that's potentially helpful that we hurt ourselves with our own reactions. We take things personally, even if they're intended to be personal by somebody who's intending to attack us. And if we refuse to take them personally, we are less hurt. Okay, that, that checks out. That makes sense. A lot of it has to do with living the good life, um, being good to other people for just for the sake of being good. Uh, getting up and being productive rather than wasting your life um, laying around in luxury. Marcus Aurelius, even as the emperor, did not live a life of luxury like some of the other Caesars did. In fact, that's why he's considered one of the one of the last good emperors. Um, during a financial crunch, he actually sells off a lot of the furnishings in the uh, in the palace to try to to pay down. Rome's debts. So instead of counting those things precious to himself, he sells them off as if they're nothing for the good of the country. And that would be a very stoic, with a capital S, reaction to an event in the world. How can I help rather than shelter myself, rather than pretend that things are, are better out there than they really are? How can I take action and how can I better the situation? One of the biggest ones, and this is where uh, kind of Christianity and Stoicism seem to meet in the popular mind, is the idea of memento mori, uh, which means remember you will die. Marcus Aurelius uh, posits this in his book, uh, in one of his notebooks, uh, that um, you could leave life right now, let that affect what you do and say and think. And if, you, if you've seen pictures uh, of tombstones, ancient tombstones, or 
um, or even Christian art from earlier eras, you'll see memento mori in the art. Uh, there's actually a whole section of art based on the idea of memento mori, where you'll find still lives that uh, include a skull somewhere as a reminder that death is around the corner. Uh, or you'll see variations on this image of a skull, a close-up of a skull on a table. On the left is a flower in a vase, and on the right is an hourglass. Uh, and this is a common depiction of memento mori, uh, the constant reminder that we don't live forever, that, that we will die at some point, and you have to make... You have to act in life. You can't just coast along as if you will never die or as if coasting along will make you live longer. We only have so much time. That's good. I would even say that that realization is biblical, right? We have so many references in the Bible uh, that talk about how life life is a vapor, um, one that I've been thinking about a lot lately, all flesh is like grass, uh, or like the flower of grass. The grass fades, the flower withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We live a very short time in this life, and we've been fortunate in modern times to be able to live longer than people have lived uh, for most of human history. Um, but still, one in one people <laughs> will die someday. At what age is variable, but you will die. And this is what got me thinking about, can a Christian be a Stoic? And here's where I land. I don't think so, but it's not necessarily because what's taught in Stoicism is completely unbiblical. Uh, there are parts of it that are unbiblical that get downplayed by uh, contemporary audiences. But I think the, the main reason that a Christian, that in my mind a Christian should not consider himself a Stoic, is because what Stoicism attempts to do, Christianity does better when it's practiced. So you're, you're by claiming Stoicism and Christianity, you're actually stooping low. Uh, you're, you're, giving credit to something that Christ has already given us in Christianity. So take this idea of memento mori. Um, and that's not to say that the Stoics invented that phrase, um, but it's it's been lumped in with Stoic practice. Christianity is already on that. Another, another idea, amor fati, that I talked about earlier, Christianity already does that better. And, and why do I say that? Well, in the Stoic mind, they were still Romans, uh, or in the earliest days, they were still Greeks. They were polytheistic people. And the Roman religion, to just take Rome, those gods are not really transcendent. They do their own thing. They do what they want. They really have no concern for anyone else but themselves and, and what they desire. Um, and especially in the Roman mind, you know, the fates are out there um, lengthening your days or shortening your days based on their own whims. Uh, and so 
at the risk of sounding fatalistic, which the Stoics really weren't, but in their mind, amor fati is, there's nothing I could have done. The fates have determined that this misfortune is, is to come my way. Rather than sit here and bemoan my station, which helps nothing, I'm going to embrace that this happened to me. And not only embrace it, I'm going to love it. Like That's why it says amor. I'm going to love fate. I'm going to love what fate brought my way in sort of a hard deterministic sense um, without, without uh, um, design behind it. It's still blind chance uh, in the eyes of, of the Stoics because they were still, as I said, into the polytheistic and yet somewhat deistic Roman religion, Roman civic religion uh, of the time. Well, Christianity does this better because we can love the circumstances that come our way because God has a purpose for that. Um, we know it's an overused phrase, but Romans 8.28, uh, all things are, are done for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's none of that purpose behind the Stoic idea of amor fati. The practical outcome of it is beneficial, but the background of how you make a more fati make sense does not benefit. So we can, as Christians, we can love fate, but we know it's not fate, it's the will of God. And we love God, and thus we love his will as well. When we entrust our, our souls to him, when we are saved, when we are uh, when our sin is removed from us and the righteousness of Christ given to us in salvation, we not only put our trust in God, when we put our faith in God, but we grow in our faith. We grow in our trust in God as the years go on because we see his heart of mercy toward his people, even in the midst of horrific difficulty. The, the history of Christianity has been constant uh, or nearly constant in suffering and martyrdom and punishment and false accusation and all these things. And yet Christians have never despaired. Why? Number one, because we know that God loves us, whether in good times for us or bad times for us. And we know that the end of our suffering, and this is where this kind of connects with memento mori, at the end of our suffering, when our time comes to die, we have assurance of what comes for us after we die. Those who are in Christ will be with Christ. Uh, we will be with him for an eternity if we've believed in him, if he has saved us, if our sins have been forgiven. That's so much better than a fati. That's so much better than simply memento mori. Because to them... Uh, and especially to people doing Stoicism today, when they consider memento mori, they're looking toward just a dirt nap, toward annihilation. We live for a while, and then then we're gone. It's over. You know, game over sort of scenario. I would say Christians do memento mori better because we can live a joyful and productive life in full knowledge in full faith and assurance that this life 
is a very small part of our actual life. This life is a vapor, yes, but we will spend eternity, those of us who are in Christ, we will spend an eternity with our God uh, in complete bliss, separated from sin, separated from sadness, that the best truly is yet to come. Unlike what Joel Osteen says, our best life isn't now, our best life is to come. That is so much better than memento mori. In another aspect of of Stoicism that I think Christianity does better is doing good to other people. There's been an interesting tactic that secular benevolence is better than Christian benevolence because sinful people, people of the world, worldly people, non-Christians, do good to other people simply because it's the right thing to do, whereas Christians do good to other people because if they don't do it, they expect judgment from God. And some contemporary people have said this, that simply doing the right thing because it's the right thing is itself its own reward. That's nice to say, but people haven't always agreed on what the right thing to do is. And in fact, the the Stoics uh, were themselves uh, in a much different moral place than, than we are today. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't a point to come where some of these same philosophers that people learn from today will be canceled by the culture because of their view of women or view of, of different ethnic groups or all sorts of things. Morality has a way of changing according to a worldly standard. So when we're talking about justice uh, and, and mercy toward others, the only consistent way to do it is to is to do it within the Christian worldview. Because we truly, as believers, should have a heart of mercy because mercy has been shown to us. It's difficult to show mercy out of a place of feeling like a victim or um, or to, to take the other way, to show mercy when you've never had to receive mercy in your life, when you have, uh, when you're one of the super rich people, uh, you know, multi-billionaires or sheltered people who, who throw money at problems in the world. Um, those are two very different, uh, scenarios, but they come down to the same thing where it becomes a self-righteous act to be kind to others or alleviate their problems. They may not realize that, but that's what it is. They're giving themselves a name publicly for doing something that helps someone else in their in that person's life. Usually needy people far away across the world where this person giving this help may not ever have to look at those people. Christian missions and in Christian mercy ministries have never been that way. They have been incarnational uh, going out to the needy and providing what needed to be provided, and not only meeting temporal needs, but meeting spiritual needs and always bringing the gospel. So it's nice to say, yes, do the right thing for its own sake. But according to a worldly philosophy, the right thing can be something radically different decade to decade or moment to moment 
based on who's making that judgment at that time. Christianity has the consistent way to do that. It's doing good to others in the name of Christ, not only meeting physical needs, but addressing the needs of the soul. Now, an interesting thing, uh, and maybe you've uh, thought of this already, but uh, Stoicism is actually mentioned in the Bible. And its little cameo in the book of Acts is another reason why I think it's not quite right for a Christian to call himself or herself a Stoic. In Paul's early ministry, he was in public often uh, debating with people in the marketplace or uh, at different events or functions where people were coming together to talk philosophy. And in Acts 17, of starting in verse 17, talking about Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. First of all, I just as a side note, I think it's really fascinating that the marketplace was a hotbed for people talking about uh, the big subjects, people talking philosophy in the marketplace. It'd be fascinating if that were something that were true today, where people were having serious, substantive discussions and even debates you know, in the middle of your local supermarket or or something like that. Um, really quite a, a special time when it comes to uh, um, public discussion, public uh, intellectualism. Uh, Rome was pretty interesting for that, uh, among many other things. Uh, in the next verse, um, so, so Paul is in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of for a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. The Epicurean and Stoic schools were kind of the, the bigger and also oppositional schools of philosophy at that time. Uh, Stoics didn't like Epicureans. Epicureans didn't like Stoics. Kind of like how Pharisees didn't like Sadducees, and Sadducees didn't like Pharisees. And the thing that makes me think here is that they're in the verse where what Paul's talking about is completely foreign to these philosophers. What does this babbler wish to say? Another said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So the idea of who Christ is, what Christ has done, life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Christ was foreign to not only the Stoics, but also to the Epicureans. So I would have a difficult time with people claiming to both follow Christ, um, to follow the teachings of Paul and his, his gospel, the gospel of Christ, and also at the same time following philosophers who not only didn't understand what Paul was talking about, because it has to be spiritually discerned, but even disdained him for having said it. This idea of the work of Christ being foreign uh, to, their, to their minds should say so much about the worldview that undergirds Stoicism. Whether people recognize that today or not uh, is another subject, but the primary sources, people like Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, Zeno, Seneca, they all come from that same worldview. 
It's not a Christian worldview at all. Marcus Aurelius even presided over the martyrdom of Christians during his time as emperor. And uh, there there are other problematic aspects of Stoicism. For instance, uh, Seneca even advocated for suicide uh, when one had, had gotten to a point in his or her life where he or she no longer was useful to the community. Um, if they were no longer able to function uh, in a in a normal way, uh, then then the the choice would be to die. Another Stoic, Cato, uh, is is famous for uh, committing suicide, brutal suicide, rather than live under the reign of Julius Caesar. And that's that's meant to be heroic, that that he stood by his principles to such a degree that he would rather take his own life than live under Julius Caesar. It's that idea is so foreign to Christianity. um, It could not be further from the teachings of Christ. So I see these two things as incongruous, but on the other hand, I don't want to necessarily throw out everything the Stoics said because there's so much, of their thoughts, of their wisdom from a common grace aspect that they really can be useful. So I'm not saying that if you own a copy of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius or you own uh, the Essays of Seneca or the Enchiridion by Epictetus to go out and burn it like it was a spell book uh, as we see in the book of Acts when when the witches uh, believed in Christ and they burnt their spell books. But we have to remember, we don't have to claim worldly philosophy. In fact, Paul goes out of his way in Colossians 2, Colossians 2, 8, to say, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You know, we're we're bombarded with so many teachings from the world, so many opinions, so many lessons that we have to discern. And I think with Stoicism, discernment is necessary. And we can take some good things that conform with the teachings of Scripture in the Christian worldview and should have no, no guilty feeling in jettisoning the rest. Um... I would, I'm would. i gladly uh, going to read uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius uh, as I have time, and I'll take from it uh, whatever good things uh, do comport with biblical wisdom, but not to replace biblical wisdom. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to call myself a Stoic because I happen to like some of the things that Marcus Aurelius had to say to himself in his journal. Christ is better. The teachings of the Bible are superior to the teachings of worldly philosophers. It seems confusing for Christians to want to take on the moniker of Stoic, with a capital S, and Christian at the same time. These are, um, these are two different things completely. And in my opinion... In devotion to Christ, 
I will only claim his name. I don't want to claim the name of some other school, uh, or some other person, some other idea. I want to be a Christian. And I want to be knowledgeable about what people in the world think so that I can address the gospel to them. So if it helps me to understand myself, my sinful self, if it helps me to understand the sinful world by taking in the thoughts, uh, ideas, and considerations of these ancient writers, these Stoic teachers, then I will take that and I'll use that. But I have to remember, that will not save me. Only Christ saves me. Only Christ sanctifies me. My hope is in Christ, not in philosophy. My Savior isn't uh, a Roman emperor or a freed slave uh, with a broken leg uh, or a playwright and power broker like Seneca or a shipwrecked merchant named Zeno. My Savior is Jesus Christ who lived a righteous life, died a death he didn't deserve, and rose again from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He alone has the words of life, as it is attested to in Scripture. Um, and I will follow him. Uh, I will listen to him. Uh, I will study his teachings. And I will. I, am, I have been promised um, to not only have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but I've been promised uh, that by his work, I will be more and more conformed to Christ's image. And one day, when my time is up, I will see him face to face in a glorified body. These are promises that come from the Lord. Uh, these are promises that Stoicism will never give. Stoicism really makes no promises. Um, but as I saw in a uh, Together for the Gospel article uh, a while ago, if Christ had not lived or, or died or been resurrected, if Christ was not God, uh, if Jesus was simply a man who, who was a good teacher and died in his time, <laughs> died a, a horrible death on a Roman cross, and his body uh, was laid in a tomb, and um, like, like all the other bodies before him, uh, dissolved into nothingness, if there was no hope, if there was no resurrection, and there was no hope for eternity, then yes, who would not live as a Stoic? <laughs> uh, I'll actually link that article in the show notes because I thought it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, even though it was on the Gospel Coalition, uh, I think it was, if I'm remembering right, it was back when the Gospel Coalition was still pretty good. Um, but anyway, those are my those are my thoughts. Um, I'm very grateful to, uh, to have the benefit of scripture, to have the benefit of the Christian worldview. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, I don't have to live as a stoic, uh, as if there were no hope for eternity and you're just trying to make the best of your life now. Um, we have hope, we have hope in Christ. Um, our sins are forgiven. We don't have to work. Uh, to try to be a good person, to try to be better every day by the sweat of our own brow, um, that we have the promise of 
of hope in Christ. Um, we have his righteousness credited to us, and he will carry us on and conform us more and more into his image until we see him face to face. So that's pretty amazing. That's life-changing truth. Well, I hope this has been interesting, um, maybe even controversial. That would be interesting. Uh, so if you have questions or comments or disagreements, um, hit me up. Uh, you can email me directly at reformedmeditations at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at refmeditations, R-E-F meditations, and on Instagram at reformedmeditations. Thank you all for listening. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Peace.